Well, good evening and welcome to an episode of Tectonic here on WFMU. I'm Dan Boda and I'm filling in tonight for Mark Hurst, your usual host here on Tectonic. But I do have um, batches of bad tech news to share with you tonight. I won't be doing it um, as well or as uh, deftly as Mark can, but uh, I will be your uh, Mark Hurst for the evening. And uh, thanks for being here with me. Uh, Tectonic is here on WFMU every Monday night from 6 to 7, exploring uh, the tech-saturated society we live in. And uh, ordinarily, Mark has uh, conversations with uh, people who are charting uh, how that future that we're moving into will go forward. Um frequently authors who have a book or a, uh, an article recently out. Um, I don't have a, a guest or a, a long interview tonight to share with you, but uh, instead have a few topics to, to talk with you about through that have, that have come up through the news and, and just articles and research that I've noticed over the last few years. Um, things that I, I think you might find interesting if you're a listener to this program, to this station. And uh, also, you know, I think... Everybody, to some extent, has become a bit of a, um, has developed an interest in policing. Uh, After the summer of 2020, when a lot of people's uh, consciousness was raised or their their eyes were opened to the importance and seriousness of issues around policing in the United States with the murder of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, uh, questions um, front and center in a lot of people's minds around what role technology should be playing, both in how police uh, pol- do their job of policing society, uh, whether or not police should be doing that job is a question that hadn't really been central to public safety conversations before 2020 and uh, became really central. So people were beginning to act, uh, ask these questions that they had not really been able to, to speak or, or have taken seriously before, um, although those ideas had been percolating for quite a while, many of them. And um, so you have that uh, happening, and you also have this, uh, this sense of that we had that we had moved into a new way of dealing with uh, police oversight and using technology to understand what police are doing better. It's not something that um, that everybody is in the same uh, place about how it works, but we have uh, body worn cameras now being worn by police around the country, and the initial impetus for body worn cameras came from police reformers, from civil libertarians, although the ACLU has always been very wary, uh, and many others in the civil libertarian community and uh, civil rights communities have been very wary of the use of uh, police body cameras. But they have held out um, the idea or the imagination of a... um, of a way where we can know what police are doing and really find out the truth about um, these incidents that have been, you know, roiling our society for generations, really, um, going back and back and back and back. And you go back to the early um, days when police were, um, when the sort of idea of police professionalism arose, you know, with Sir Robert Peel and uh, in the early 20th century, you had uh, the Wickersham Commission. You had these kind of um, ideas developing that police would be, um, you know, professionals who would detect and prevent crime. They would have codes of ethics. Before this, they were really, um, they were mostly affiliated with political parties or with uh, powerful interests. They you know, many police forces in the United States grew out of slave patrols. Um, you know, they were they were um, used to to break strikes. Um, you know, by by people who um, had investments at stake when a strike was happening and were losing money. 
Um, so they had often, you know, been a tool of the politically or the economically powerful. And um, and that was really the the sort of history of how the profession, you know, or what, what policing was before this idea of professionalization came around. And with professionalization and the sort of development of this quasi-military body uh, came, of course, the adoption of technology and the... Um, the idea that we would have a, a standing force that would sort of treat everybody the same, that would provide public safety throughout society um, to everybody, um, to all comers, and treat everybody according to the same set of rules, you know, professional-like. And, um, and to help them detect and prevent crime, uh, this sort of new professional mission of providing for everybody's public safety uh, well, that required the use of technology. So tonight my topic is uh, taser drones in elementary schools. And this is where we've, we've come to now uh, with the idea of police professionalization, with the adoption of technology as a way to deliver safety. And um, that to some extent... Well, you, people may differ with uh, p people may differ over. I don't know that I have a position personally, but um, many people uh, many people would say that there is an honest attempt being made through the use of uh, the idea through the development of taser drones for deployment in elementary schools. That there's an honest effort being made to prevent harm and to uh, reduce the amount of violence being committed um, by police during the course of their work to prevent school shootings. Um, that's really the genesis of the idea. And so I, 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 what I want to do is I want to sort of trace. So there's the headline, right? Taser drones in elementary schools. Taser, <laughs> Taser drones in elementary schools is a really, really fabulous uh, headline. It is it grabs people's attention. Uh, you can Google it and you'll find that it's been used over and over and over again because it it um, it connects. It really it pushes all of our buttons. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, tasers um, are deeply symbolic and, and really kind of, um, you know, they're used as a punchline in movies. They're used as a, um, I don't know, they have like this cultural salience where people really uh, think of them as being both funny but also fearsome and sort of dreadful. Uh, and drones uh, have a similar kind of um, privacy implication, I guess, and the idea of... Um, you know, acting remotely without a person, right? The assassinations, surveillance, um, but also like a cool toy that you can buy. Well, you can't buy it at Radio Shack anymore, but you can buy it at Target or Walmart, and uh, you can um, and you can fly it around, and you can take videos, and you know, now you start to see. Um, I mean, this is pretty ubiquitous, right? You see fairly inexpensively uh, made short films or even, you know, longer films that have uh, ubiquitous usage of drone footage for overhead shots. And you get these really gorgeous, kind of amazing angles that are accessible to even amateur filmmakers who can really do things that used to require, you know, um, very expensive techniques like getting, you know, sophisticated cameras up in a helicopter and spending a lot of money on that kind of thing. So drones themselves are, are very exciting. Of course, you know, famously, uh, station manager Ken here at WFMU uh, was an early adopter and had a, a WFMU branded, using bumper stickers, to be fair, uh, drone. Um, you know, so WFMU, we wanted to, you needed to get our foot in the game with drones uh, right quick. And then elementary schools, right? Well, elementary schools, what are they there? They're our home. They're sort of, we all went through them, right? We all kind of remember elementary school for the most part. I'm sorry if, if, if uh, you're not included in that group, but um, it is a really um, a common, you know, democratic part of the democratic um, process of being socialized in America. And, um, you know, is participation in elementary school. It's, it's horrible. 
It's also, uh, you know, there's wonderful memories. There's, but overall, there's this aura of, you know, the children. And we really uh, value children um, in this country, which is what makes them so valuable as sacrifices during school shootings and, and other um, occasions in which we pay obeisance to and worship the gun um, as enshrined in the Second Amendment. And so, um, so we have this dilemma, right? We have this dilemma that's spoken to by the taser drones in elementary schools. We have this dilemma that, um, that there are school shootings happening all the time. And the genesis of this idea, I mean, it was being talked about and thought about before. But um, the idea has only gotten more reasonable as time has gone by. And that's something I want you to think about. The reasonableness of uh, taser drones in elementary schools. And I think you'll find that the initial reaction that you have of outrage and uh, bewilderment at that phrase, um, you know, will we'll fade as we talk about it. And I think that's one of the functions of talking about things, that everything starts to seem reasonable when you talk about it a lot. And um, I think that's that's a running theme in uh, Tectonic in this program, exploring uh, technology's role in our society today. So, all right, so let's move into it, right? Uh, the timeline here on taser drones in elementary schools. So what happened? What happened is that the, um, uh, there was the school shooting at Uvalde, Texas. Uvalde, Texas, the, the uh, uh, small city. In Texas, there was an elementary school, Rob Elementary School, and a um, and a, a pretty disturbed individual entered the school and began shooting um, children and teachers. And um, police uh, and the thing that really drove people nuts about this, because I mean, school shootings are not enough anymore to drive Americans super nuts. They, 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 the people who are affected are always driven nuts, and then. Uh, there's a big chunk of the population who uh, can't believe we do nothing, but it's become uh, sort of a, um, there's almost like a comfort in complaining about how, uh, how we do nothing because it so, uh, seems so um, insane but also kind of hopeless um, that, of ever getting anything done by regulating guns in any way or um, providing the kind of preventive uh, supports that might, you know, um, make it so that we don't just have these uh, shootings all the time. So there was a school shooting, but it was out particularly outrageous because the heroic first responders um, failed to live up to either of the um, either of the things that they're known for being first responders and uh, being heroic. And uh, the police just didn't go in, and they were afraid. There was, um, you know, there's still, I think, investigative work going on. There were really tone-deaf statements made right after the case, but the parents at the scene, parents were responding uh, and trying to get into the building before the police would go in and being prevented by the police from entering the building where their children were still alive uh, for the time being. And a number of uh, children apparently, you know, appear to have been killed during the period when the police were delaying for almost an hour before going in. So it's a terrible story. I'm sure a lot of you know this, and I'm sorry to go through it for you, but I uh, want to give the, the full account, right? Um, so that happens on the 24th of May last year, 2022. And then on the uh, 2nd of June, 2022, uh, Rick Smith um, issues a statement. He posts a, a blog post. He is the CEO of the corporation known as Axon. Axon is a corporation that created the – initially was it called Taser, and Axon really became the, the parent company of Taser, which is now a, uh, a product of Axon. The other thing that Axon does is body cameras. Axon is the primary uh, provider of body cameras in the United States for police. And um, – Interestingly, one of their big businesses now, one of their biggest businesses is that business. They don't actually make most of their money or 
Perhaps that, I think that they, it, it's sort of a loss leader to to give the cameras or sell them at a really really small uh, light rate to police departments um, because once you have body cameras and you have them on police officers, well, you have a platoon of police officers. You know, you have three platoons a day covering 24 hours a day of patrol and generating enormous amounts of footage. You know, you have 24 hours per officer. If you have 20 officers deployed, you have um, 20 times 24 hours each day that you need to uh, to archive and understand. And what? Why are you even filming all this stuff? Because how can you watch 24 hour, 20 times 24 hours of footage for just one small department for just one day? And so, you know, and maybe they don't record all the time, whatever, it lowers the burden, but it's an insane burden. So where Axon really makes its money on this is that they own the footage. They um, license the camera. They maybe provide it for free or at a reduced rate or at a, a low rate. And then um, the, they provide for the storage. They provide uh, cloud storage for the footage and management tools to help you access that footage, to label the footage, to tag it, to um, reproduce it, to, um, to make sure that the chain of custody is secure on it so that you can use it as evidence in court. Because, of course, very quickly now, body-worn cameras have shifted from being a... Um, a tool of oversight of police where we can see if they're doing anything wrong to becoming a, a tool of police collecting evidence and surveilling and gathering data about bad people that they want to incarcerate. And, um, and that's uh, really become their primary purpose. Okay, so um, Rick Smith is the CEO of this company. And uh, he is inspired... Uh, I don't want to really say that he was inspired. I want to say that he, um, um, that in the aftermath of the Robb Elementary School shooting, he thought that Axon had a way to provide products that he'd been thinking about, taser-armed drones, into the market that would address the issue that people were currently uh, freaking out about rightfully so, um, that people were freaking out about it. And his idea was, we can end mass shootings by deploying drones armed with tasers. And we will both prevent, we will have uh, nobody put in harm's way. So all those police officers who are afraid to go in because of the the intensity of the weapon that was being used during that shooting, the, the danger to them in responding, that's a, um, that's a real thing, you know, that's a real concern. And we, we expect those people to go in um, regardless of that concern. And, um, you know, Axon's in the business of assisting law enforcement to uh, do what it uh, do what it wants to do better and safer and more easily and, um, you know, and more professionally, it's that it's that um, theme of police professionalization, and so um, and so Rick Smith posted and said, if we had these uh, taser armed drones in the classroom, then when uh, a school shooter came in, the um, teacher would be able to, or a remote operator from the police department would be able to operate the drone. And then take the drone and um, use it to tase the bad guy, the shooter, preventing both the shooting and also the need to eliminate by death the, um, the school shooter. And so you'd end up with this um, much um, sort of lighter touch, more um, like milder um, response. And so on June 2nd, uh, uh, Rick Smith posts this, this um, photo of a taser-armed drone. It's a bright yellow drone with a, a black face um, and black rotors and a glowing red eye, kind of like Hal uh, from 2001, on the front of the, the drone. 
And uh, Rick Smith uh, posted this um, on Axon, this sort of blog post, said, tell me if this sounds unnervingly familiar. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families of the slain children. It's essentially part of the school shooting script, well-crafted statements from politicians, anger from a mourning community, and no concrete steps to prevent the next tragedy. So as I was mentioning, you know, the... um, the um, the sort of familiar nothing is going to happen sense that these are horrific and um, gut-wrenching situations that we have become inured to. He says, you know, that's where the debate usually peters out is in trying to, uh, you know, f- follow the sort of unworkable ideas, he says, that follow these events like new gun laws, arming teachers, uh, we can't do this stuff. So what can he do? Well, you know, he can use uh, the company's technological um, capacities and and design principles to disrupt that dangerous and deadlock situation. So he says, uh, two technologies have made recent advancements, rapid advancements in recent years, and both could offer hope. The first, drones. So they're very common. They're delivering packages. You know, they're All over the place, they're fast, accurate, and versatile, he says. Um, And they've been used in both civilian and military contexts on issues of the highest sensitivity, like intelligence gathering or enemy targeting. And the second technology is non-lethal energy weapons, tasers. So this is like, you know, um, this is like the Reese's peanut butter cup uh, um, moment of Axon's you know, corporate history where they, they sort of realized, you know, we've got these two great tastes and they're going to taste especially good together. So um, he says, in brief, non-lethal drones can be installed in schools or, and other venues and play the same role that sprinklers and other fire suppression tools do for firefighters, preventing a catastrophic event or at least mitigating its worst effects. And he says, of course, I appreciate the risks in such a proposal, and I know it sounds faintly ludicrous to some. That's why we must start with a caveat. We cannot introduce anything like non-lethal drones into schools without rigorous debate and laws that govern their use. So here are three that can serve as a starting point. And these are the sort of principles that Axon lays out. Non-lethal drones should be used to save lives, not take them. Humans must own use of force decisions and take moral and legal responsibility. And he mentions, literally mentions in the first sentence of that section, in every dystopian sci-fi movie, the fear of technology is the same. What happens if the robot goes rogue? Uh, And three, agencies must provide rigorous oversight and transparency to ensure acceptable use. Now, so he's, he's now here uh, discussing what the ethical implications of this are. And one of the problems is that um, Axon already had uh, um, an independent body that it had set up to think through the ethical implications of things like this. So Axon had um, built an ethics board, and it was chaired by a law professor at New York University, Barry Friedman, who is a uh, a fabulous legal scholar and, um, you know, really known for uh, his understanding, his deep understanding of how policing operates and also how um, the Constitution intersects with police use of surveillance uh, technologies. And so he was was a, a pretty brave choice for a company like Axon to put in charge of an ethics oversight board. It's an advisory. He couldn't make decisions for the company. But, you know, it it would be hard for the company to just ignore what he had to say, right? And so um, initially that board um, became really well-known to the public because because Axon wanted to use facial recognition technology on body-worn cameras. They wanted to develop a way where as the police officer was interacting in the world using their body-worn camera, the uh, camera could be linked to 
databases and um, search the faces of the people with whom police were interacting in order to identify them and provide information back to the officer in real time about who are the people that they're interacting with. Is this person wanted? Has this person assaulted a police officer in the past? Um, does this person have a history? You know, what, what is their criminal history like? What is their, um, you know, what is their socioeconomic status and their job? And all of these kind of uh, aspects um, that police might use to determine whether a situation is safe or not. And also they might use to make decisions about um, whether or not there's a reason to um, take action, criminal justice action against this uh, this person. And uh, Barry Friedman leading this, um, this robust uh, ethics board for Axon, uh, independent, as I said, um, issued a recommendation, a strong recommendation saying Axon should refuse to permit the use of facial recognition technology on its body-worn cameras, on its, uh, on its body cams. And uh, to the credit of uh, Rick Smith and the Axon Corporation, they, um, they complied. They decided that they would um, not uh, permit the use of, uh, body, of uh, facial recognition technology on the body cams. And in fact, that includes, if I understand it correctly, and I've looked at this, but um, let me know if you think I'm mistaken on this, but um, uh, even third-party facial recognition technology. So Axon's agreement with its users is that they can't feed the body camera footage back through some third-party separate facial recognition technology to... Do, to um, obtain sort of a real-time facial recognition uh, situational awareness capacity. So that's not something they can do. Um, and so that's great, right? And then um, one, of the <laughs> one of the big asks of the uh, Axon um, Independent Oversight and Ethics Board was to consider whether or not um, taser-armed drones were a good idea. Or, you know, what were the impl ethical implications? What kind of uh, boundaries were needed? What kinds of uh, role could they play in uh, Axon's, you know, um, product line? And uh, they had spent about a year uh, working on the issue, really investigating it, interviewing lots of people, um, trying to understand um, what the ethical implications were and what kind of a recommendation to make. You know, I think given the, the history of Axon having taken the recommendation about facial recognition, they felt a, a significant obligation to get this right. And, um, and they were just about to issue that uh, set of recommendations when, um, without consulting them at all, uh, Rick Smith uh, jumped on uh, June 2nd onto the Axon blog and announced um, that he would be that he would be uh, entering this this realm taser enabled drones and so um, this was sort of a violation of what the ethics board was there for and uh, was suggesting that I mean it implied strongly that um, it wasn't interested in you know in working with them in a sort of uh, respectful way and what he did in his uh, blog post was he said, I'm going to have a Reddit AMA uh, on June 3rd, you know, and ask me anything um, discussion on Reddit, a three hour long uh, conversation, live Q&A with uh, Rick Smith. So very quickly, this was all over the news. Um, Axon announces taser drone to help stop mass shootings. This is on Police One which is a, uh, a magazine and online news source uh, from uh, within the policing profession. It's a pretty mainline uh, discussion of all kinds of, you know, issues for police managers and supervisors and, and sort of, uh, you know, the people who are running police departments and want to know what's, what's new in the world of policing. Um, this is a great news store source, and, um, and they're on this right away, June 2nd. 
The Taser drone is under development and will be a non-lethal, remote, operable way to stop active shooters, Axon says. Um, and so, um, you know, a lot of excitement being generated. Simultaneously, though, you start to see, um, <laughs> well, Rick Smith does his Ask Me Anything, and it's archived, and it's a thing of beauty. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of... Uh, comments in there and I don't think it went um super well let's just put it that way um I think the uh the comment that um Smith had made that um that uh you know that this was like I know this is like kind of a somewhat controversial idea maybe um uh I think that he he became aware through the AMA that it was a little more than just slightly controversial um and then um Immediately after the AMA uh, and the resignation of the nine of the 12 members of the Axon Ethics Board. So they they were talking about it for about a day. There was like a 24-hour period where there was fallout from all of the, uh, the announcement and, and Smith's, um, um, you know, announcement, uh, his blog post and his AMA. And the news started getting out there and then there was all this backlash and the ethics board was, you know, um, furious that they had they had never been asked to think about what ethical implications would be involved in putting taser drones in elementary schools or in schools at all. So it wasn't even a use scenario that they'd considered or thought about because it wasn't something that they were told was within the realm of possibility. And so they uh, they were furious that this was not something that that first off that the more more um uh like the less charged that's maybe a bad word in the taser context but the sort of less uh controversial use of tasers at all on drones in general in a general context or maybe even in an extreme like hostage situation context with adults um they hadn't they hadn't been allowed to give their full uh, recommendation on that topic, and yet um, now um, taser deployment in schools was not just on the table, not just being floated, but was a uh, appeared to be a done deal that the CEO of the company was going forward. And so, uh, <clears throat> and so then we have on uh, June sixth, just a couple days after, Axon pauses plan for taser drone as ethics board members resign. This is the New York Times on uh, June 6th um, of last year. After Axon announced plans for a taser-equipped drone that it said could prevent mass shootings, nine members of the company's ethics board stepped down. And uh, they were not replaced, and the ethics board um, fell apart after that. And, um, and what appeared to have happened was that um, Axon said, okay, we're not doing this. We're, you know... It sort of seemed like the uh, backlash was too big. But, you know, I mean, an idea that good, an idea that sexy, can you really just, like, not do it because people got upset? No. I mean, the more they think about it, the more reasonable it will seem, right? Plus, you know, if you're Axon, you have, like, business to run and you have, like, and a lot of uh, the policing tech business really happens at, uh, like you know, there's a lot of um, sales and and demonstrations of high high end tech at conferences, conventions. You know, it's a fun time. Everybody gets together. You all see each other. All the police from around the country are there. All the different vendors are there with all their technologies to offer. Lots and lots of cool toys. A lot of stuff coming from the military. You know, you get to to be a real badass. It's awesome. And uh, you know, these are this is a great time. So, um, you know, Axon has to have its uh, annual, I don't know if it's annual, but they have to have their taser con, which must have already been planned when he announced this in June, because it's happening in, uh, in early January, or actually mid, mid to late January. And so then you get a, a report, an exclusive report from uh, Dina Temple Raston. And she wrote in The Record, therecord.media, on January 23rd of this year, 2023, 
An exclusive. Axon still wants to put taser drones in your kid's school. And um, here's the, the lead. This week, Axon, the company that developed the taser, is hosting a conference in Las Vegas called TaserCon. I mean, Sin City is the perfect setting, right? The event is billed as an opportunity to talk about law enforcement and public safety, and Axon was expected to use the occasion to reintroduce a controversial plan, putting stun gun-equipped drones in police departments and schools to prevent mass shootings. In fact, on stage during his keynote address, Axon's founder and CEO, Rick Smith, announced partnerships with a roster of drone companies and demonstrated some new drone technology. So um, <clears throat> this wasn't just about, um, you know, uh, we're, we're going to re reintroduce this idea and we're going to move forward. No, it was about we've, we've developed partnerships. So this last six months obviously had been used pretty, uh, pretty robustly to develop uh, partnerships with uh, technology companies that could work with them to make this a practical thing. And so, um, and Dina, uh, Dina Temple Raston, the person who wrote this report, um, is, uh, um, is a journalist with a, a podcast called Click Here. And um, she said, Click Here has obtained a report that provides new details about the board's deliberations around Project Ion. This is the ethics board that had dissolved. They were, Project Ion was the project to arm drones with tasers. And this never issued uh, report that they that was far along in its process, um, written by former members of the Axon Ethics Board and the Policing Project at New York University School of Law, which is a um, policy and uh, litigation uh, project uh, organization, nonprofit organization that is run by Barry Friedman. Um, it lays out precisely why the board advised Axon to shelve the proposal. And so there, there you have it. The recommendation was going to be no, no tasers on drones, please. And, uh, and um, before issuing that, what they received instead was a, uh, um, a notification that the CEO had, had publicly uh, committed to doing so with, for, uh, to protect children. Among their concerns was the fact that the drones would actually increase the use of overall force and that deploying tasers from such a distance had the potential for dehumanizing the people it would target. In a school setting, these concerns were only amplified. <clears throat> Axon's focus on deploying this technology in schools was particularly concerning, the introduction to the report warns. Not only would Axon's plan entail the installation of persistent surveillance, a form of surveillance the board had long cautioned Axon against. Several members of the board believed weaponized drones stood little chance of solving the problem of mass shootings. So it doesn't work, and it will make things worse. doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and will make things worse. Sounds great. Sign me up. Let me use some uh, public money to buy that for my municipality and for my toy box. I mean toolbox. Um Artificial intelligence software allows drones to perceive their surroundings, map areas, track objects, and provide analytic feedback in real time, all of which can be very helpful to law enforcement. The problem is that AI comes with a roster of ethical risks from biased algorithms that tend to disproportionately single out black or brown people to potential infringements on privacy because of a drone's all-seeing eye. What's more, AI devices tend to be built to operate at scale so that any problems or biases that might be in the software affect scores of people all at once. So um, Barry Friedman has a quote here. Axon was operating in a space that was fraught, and they thought it would be good to have an independent outside body that would guide them, said Barry Friedman, a founding member of the board and a law professor at New York University and the director of the policing project. We were a little skeptical of it, frankly, but we agreed to listen. And I think over the period of time in which the ethics board was operating and operating well, everybody felt that good work was being done, like convincing them not to use facial recognition software. So when they were asked to look at Project Ion, this early 
idea of uh, facial recognition, uh, I'm sorry, of taser drones, um, they agreed. They, they said they assumed it would end up as another instance in which they could prevent a technology from getting ahead of itself. Weaponizing drones and robots has been a frontier, right, Friedman said. And so the question was, is that a line that we just don't want to cross? And we've heard that um, be discussed as well in the, in the context of, uh, you know, whether or not robot dogs or other types of robots can be armed. So let's think a little bit about the timeline of how this idea has developed. Um, and, and this is the framing that, um, that um, Dina um, Temple-Raston uses in her article as well. It's going, let's go back. You have to go back to um, Dallas in 2016. In 2016, you have this, um, this guy who is very, very angry at police who decides that he's going to execute some police officers, and he uh, kills five police. Um, and this is, uh, and then the police eventually, you know, he was, he was, uh, dead set on murdering police officers. Um, it was not a good situation. It was a very dangerous situation. A lot of people were hurt and died. And, um, the police eventually had him cornered in a, uh, parking garage. They had him sort of surrounded and, and in an area where he was isolated. Um, but you know, it was, incredibly dangerous to approach him and not just theoretically dangerous, but, uh, you know, he had shown, uh, what would happen if, if he was approached. And so, uh, you know, and so police have, um, long used robots to defuse bombs. And, and this is, you know, I think everybody agrees a pretty great idea. In this case, they used uh, a robot to be a bomb. They, um, took a robot like the ones that are used to defuse bombs, you know, small sort of box with wheels and uh, attached a bomb to it. And then they sent the robot over and it has a camera, of course, mounted on it. And they sent it over to the, to the shooter. And uh, when it got close and they confirmed that that was him, David O. Brown, I'm sorry, uh, the police chief was David O. Brown in Dallas he uh, made the call. All right, let's let's detonate it, and they um, they blew the suspect up. So it was the first time that a that a robot that you know, in a very public, um, real life field situation, had been deployed in an armed way to kill kill somebody. Um, and so, um, you know, of course, then you you get this idea of, well, what if we did this with drones? What if we had a taser? What if we had, you know, beanbag rounds in, instead of, you know, or a shotgun mounted on that? Um, or some other kind of, you know, like a, a net, right? Um, so, uh, and then, and then you have, so you, you sort of have this idea of, We've now like crossed a certain threshold and we, we um, you know, we've blown somebody, admittedly a very bad guy who was doing awful things. Um, and, you know, there were no um, easier good solutions to that situation. Um, and, and so in that situation, of course, a choice like that starts to seem, uh, you know, um, I mean, it's it's an extreme situation, and so it's those kind of situations that tend to make bad precedent, as we say. And uh, lawyers say, you know, bad law comes out of these really unique and terrible situations because uh, then you develop a sort of a rule that's based on this exceptional circumstance that, you know, is extremely, extremely rare. And then um, all situations receive the same response, um, that that extreme, you know, uh, outlier of a situation receives. And then we had um, Buffalo as well, right, where um, a shooter went into a grocery store in Buffalo. He was a racist. He hated black people, and he um, targeted and killed a number of black people for no purpose except uh, expressing his hatred and uh, venom. And, um, you know, just murdered a lot of people in cold blood and in a terrible mass shooting. And, um, 
And so, and then Uvalde is similar, right? Another situation where somebody who was not, um, not a good person at all and had a lot of um, hatred in his heart um, went into the school and targeted children and teachers specifically uh, to kill. And these are both situations in which you know, it's kind of hard, like, how long is it going to take first responders to get there? What are they going to be able to do when they get there? How are they going to be able to engage, you know, in some, like, firefight in the middle of a grocery store or a school? Like, that's not necessarily a great answer either. And so, um, hey, if you have drones, right, they can get around and, uh, like, the shooters... Um, you know, we can we can stop these threats in less than a minute. So here's what Axon has to say, right? In his video laying out the plan, Smith said Axon was working through partners um, to activate any camera in any school, church, or public building so that it can be easily shared with first responders. And then pre-placed drones would stop threats in less than a minute. So you have a situation like this emerging, you um, trigger the drone and it alerts um, somebody who can jump on and control it right away and then they can kill the bad guy. Um, and uh, from further from this article, if and if one, but if one thinks about how school shootings typically unfold, a gunman enters a school armed to the teeth, typically wearing body armor, which tasers can't penetrate, um, they sometimes even have trouble penetrating clothes or as um, as has been noted in the chat at WFMU.org, um, they, they often the tines don't stick in people's skin properly. They need to make, you know, very particular kind of contact in order to, to um, deliver the electricity that they deliver in a way that will disable somebody. Um, and so, uh, you know, shooters also barricade themselves, right? And like happened in Uvalde. And so um, drones have to get around and shooters go into rooms and close doors, Friedman said. And the company's answer was, well, we'll just cut holes in all the doors so the drone could get through. I mean, you're trying a little too hard. That was Friedman's uh, comment. And um, I think it's a fair comment. All right. So. Um, so then around TaserCon, right, comes out that, that they're doubling down and we get this uh, exclusive report and the marketplace has a sort of follow up where they, you know, they interview uh, um, Dina um, about her article. Um, David Brancaccio at, at Marketplace does this interview and they discuss it and it gets, you know, much, much wider attention. And then things are kind of quiet again on the Taser drone elementary school acts of evil front until uh last month um i think i can still say that right yeah september was last month early in september uh wired published an article uh, that's what sort of got me thinking because it's around the same time that mark asked me if i could come and uh, sit in here and, and deliver a tectonic sermon for you and i apologize in advance that i see the time is just whittling away and um and who knew I thought I would have a really hard time speaking for an hour. So um, there's that. I hope I haven't lost you all. Uh, Mark is, is, has a much better pacing, but I haven't gotten there yet. Axon's ethics board resigned over taser-armed drones. Then the company bought a military drone maker. So it's not just partnerships anymore. It's uh, acquisition and the, the beefing up of infrastructure. Um, the CEO's vision for taser-equipped drones includes a fictitious scenario in which the technology averts a shooting at a daycare center. It's a daycare center. <laughs> okay, so um, this you know was co-published by the Markup, uh, an investigative nonprofit uh, journalism shop, and with Wired, and um, it kind of you know uses the announcement of that acquisition to explore, you know, this this ongoing reality in which Taser, uh, which Axon is is um, really planning to do this. All right. I see that it's uh, just about six minutes left in the program. So 
a couple things I want to leave you with. And uh, I should have saved maybe a little more time to talk about them, but um, it's just been too much. Uh, it's been too distracting talking about the details of this this horror. All right. Um, so around the same time as the um, early September article comes out in Wired, the AP announced uh, or published an article just before uh, Labor Day. Uh, and the headline is, New York police will use drones to monitor backyard parties this weekend, spurring privacy concerns. And so uh, this, you know, got talked about a lot. I'm sure um, most of you, if not all of you, have uh, already heard about this. But the uh, NYPD has been using drones for quite a while. And um, Mayor Adams, the former police officer who is now the mayor of the city of New York, um, has not doesn't seem to really have um, had a, uh, an aversion to the adoption and use of, uh, or, you know, a, a kind of careful approach, I would say, or a, a measured, um, thoughtful approach to deploying new technology to, um, you know, in the police space. So uh, what he, um, what was announced, right, was that the New York City Police Department plans to pilot the unmanned aircraft in response to complaints about large gatherings, including private events, over Labor Day weekend. And uh, the assistant NYPD commissioner, Kaz Daughtry, says, If a caller states there's a large crowd, a large party in a backyard, we're going to be utilizing our assets to go up and go check on the party. And so this is... Um, you know, those uh, drones are not armed yet, um, but they um, may be soon. And then I guess the um, the final thing maybe I should leave you with is um, how is this playing in the police press? You know, in the in the world of policing, what are police saying about it? And this is an article that came out um, right around the time of TaserCon in January of 2023. And again, Police One, that source I told you about, that is a, uh, a really great uh, place if you're interested in policing and if you're interested in technology and you want to sort of see the take of the, of the mainstream of you know, the policing profession. And uh, their, um, their writer, Charles Werner, published an article on January 7th, 11 Ways Police Departments Are Using Drones. There is a paradigm shift occurring in law enforcement as drones become a critical element in almost every aspect of emergency operations. And uh, we can't, you know, we can't be, have, have police sort of be left behind. So what are the ways? And some of these are ways that uh, I had no awareness of before uh, reading this article. So it's kind of a, a nice primer. Um, traffic crash reconstruction. Drones can do um, video that can be used for 3D remodeling, or modeling of the, of the crash. Pre-tactical pre deployment reconnaissance. So you can find out what the ground is like before you send you know, SWAT teams in. SWAT operations is the third one. They're very dangerous. You can use SWAT in and around buildings, behind fences, looking in confined areas instead of moving in blindly. Uh, similarly, hostage situations, which are often um, SWAT-responded incidents. Patrol-led deployment, so officers on routine patrol can decide on the um, deployment of tasers. Forensic investigations. They can uh, capture information from a top-down view and data from scenes that may have been missed from the ground. Uh, number seven, searching for lost persons. Number eight, traffic pattern review. Number nine is tethered drones. They are just uh, simple, um, you know, the tether is used like a tower and the drone uh, sits and, and creates a, a miniature panopticon. Interior drone operations inside of buildings and then drones as first responders. So I'll leave you with that. Um, and maybe another time we'll talk about um, the Rand Corporation's research into uh, the wearable technology vest of the future that sounds like something that um, approaches, begins to approach RoboCop territory. 
And uh, well, with that, thank you. I thank you for tuning in and for uh, being here with me. Ken will be here, station manager Ken, guest hosting Tectonic next, no, not next week, but next month um, around Thanksgiving, uh, November 27th, he'll be here. Mark Hurst will be back with you next week. And thank you uh, for listening to uh, the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County. We're at 91.9 FM online. We're always at WFMU.org. And uh, uh, thank you for for letting me uh, be your guest, Mark Hurst, this week. And the, the other realer Mark Hurst will be back with you next week. And good evening, all. Welcome to another episode of It's Complicated, an hour, 60 minutes of Prague and Prague-adjacent music. Coming to you every Monday evening at 7 p.m. here at listener-supported WFMU. And I'm your host, Dave Mandel. And we're going to start tonight's show with a tribute, I guess, to Carla Blay who passed away in the past week, in the last week. And Carla Blay was is best known as a, as a jazz musician, not to, not to pigeonhole her. That's really not even fair to call her that. She was so um, woman, of, woman of a million styles, a million genres, but best known certainly as a jazz keyboard player and pianist. And I'm going to play, of course sort of proggy thing. <laughs> this is an album. This album is probably uh, one of her best-known records to rock or prog rock people, I'm going to say. It's a record that was released in uh, 1971 and included notably Jack Bruce on bass, John McLaughlin on guitar. The album was called Escalator Over the Hill, Probably one of her best-known records, I'm going to say. Uh, three LP set. It was a triple album. And that's it. Jack Bruce, John McLaughlin, incredible, huge cast of characters on this record. Charlie Hayden is on here. Anyway, we're going to hear a track from that album, Escalator Over the Hill, Carla Blay, and this track features, actually, Jack Bruce on vocals and bass.
Something like spinning top Corner the small tongue Mastoid market The rubulous popping mad Beneath bony Eric profit Punished by being kept alive Just at the classic Holds a little sorry About reality Thank you. 
I'm a therapist. 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 I'm a